Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, we'll talk about what the term op-ed really means and about how long you should make your paragraphs. But before we start, I want to correct two recent mispronunciations. First, I said the name of the character in the book The Borrowers as Ariety, when it is, in fact, Ariety. And second, in a much larger infraction, I mispronounced mischievous as mischievous, and I am so sorry. I know that bugs a lot of people now. I remember as I was recording it, wondering if I had it right, but I didn't go back and check. Bad, bad. I've heard it both ways my whole life, but the correct pronunciation is definitely mischievous. And here's how I'm going to remember that from now on, and maybe it'll help some of you. I'm going to think of the actor Chevy Chase. He's mischievous, and his name Chevy sounds a lot like the middle part of mischievous. That'll help me. I hope it helps you. And now, on to the rest of the show. The New York Times is changing the name of its op-ed section to Guest Essays. It's an interesting move, but it reminded me of something many people don't know about the term op-ed. It stands for opposite editorial, not opinion editorial, as many people think. And opposite editorial refers to the piece's physical position in the newspaper, not the opinions being opposite of the newspaper's opinions, as some other people think. These commentaries, guest essays, simply run on the page opposite the editorial page. And that's one reason the New York Times is changing the name. In the digital world, many people aren't reading the guest essays on a physical page that's opposite the editorial page, so it's not a very accurate or descriptive term anymore. Although the New York Times didn't start running an op-ed page until 1970, the term goes back to at least 1924, according to the Oxford English Dictionary. The concept of a page that lives opposite the editorial page and features opinions from outside writers was pioneered a few years earlier in 1921 by the New York World newspaper's editor and Pulitzer Prize-winning writer Herbert Swope. Swope was friendly with members of the Algonquin Roundtable, a group of writers and other creative people, including Dorothy Parker and Harpo Marx, who regularly met for lunch at the Algonquin Hotel. And according to Edom Online, Swope's op-ed pages launched the celebrity of many of the Algonquin Roundtable writers. I find it funny that the New York Times announcement about the change mentions that people sometimes think the term op-ed means opinions opposite of editorial, as in the editorial board, but doesn't mention that many people think it means opinion editorial. Since these are opinion pieces, the idea that OP stands for opinion is such a common misconception that Wikipedia, Wiktionary, and Urban Dictionary include it as an alternate meaning, although traditional dictionaries do not. So the next time you see the op-ed label, spare a thought for print newspapers where those missives were printed on the page opposite the editorial page. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. 
You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries. So you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and bestselling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart, every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi. Hey, it's Mignon. Do you need a new literary show to add to your podcast queue? Well, then you definitely want to check out Missing Pages, the chart-topping and Signal Award-winning podcast produced by The Podglomerate. Back for a brand new season, Missing Pages investigates the most pressing topics in the book world today, from the rise of Colleen Hoover and book bans across America to the world of ghostwriting. Not to mention host and acclaimed literary critic Beth Ann Patrick interviews some of the biggest names in the industry, like New York Times bestselling author Jody Pico and Publishers Weekly co-editorial director Jim Milliot. And as the Washington Post and The Guardian said, missing pages is a, quote, must listen. And I agree. So don't miss out. Follow Missing Pages today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. A while ago, I saw a comment on Facebook about professors who were teaching college students to make all their paragraphs the same length. The woman wrote, quote, There are professors at my school who deduct points, sometimes even letter grades, if paragraphs aren't the same exact length throughout a paper. Because writing should be balanced, and it can only achieve balance if all paragraphs are equal in length, unquote. Since this is one of the most preposterous things I've ever heard, I thought I must have misunderstood, but I asked for clarification and learned that the uniform paragraph length rule is so pervasive at this university that one professor uses a ruler to measure physical paragraph length in an introductory English class. Those poor students. Okay, so paragraphs represent ideas, and ideas come in many sizes. The most important point should be at the beginning of a paragraph, often that point is called a topic sentence, and you use the rest of the paragraph to develop the point further. Both the Yahoo Style Guide and the popular college handbook A Writer's Reference, originally written by Diana Hacker and often referred to as simply Hacker, recommend an average paragraph length of 100 to 200 words. But both also note that good writers treat this as a suggestion and not a hard and fast rule. For example, Hacker notes that in essays, introductory and concluding paragraphs are often shorter than other paragraphs, and that in scholarly works, paragraphs are often longer, suggesting seriousness and depth. It's also important to mix up your paragraph length for the same reason you mix up your sentence structure, to keep your reader's eyes from glazing over. 
Hacker notes that the reasons behind paragraph length aren't always logical or tied to the one idea, one paragraph concept. Besides signaling a shift to a new idea, writers can use paragraph breaks to emphasize a point, to indicate a shift in time or place, or simply to break up text that looks too dense. You should also keep in mind how and where your audience will read your writing. For example, journalistic writing has traditionally favored short paragraphs because print newspaper columns are narrow, which can make even short paragraphs seem long. Commenting on the tiny amount of time an online reader spends before deciding whether to read an article or not, the Yahoo Style Guide adds, keep paragraphs short. Two or three sentences is often long enough. You don't want to get that dreaded TLDR comment on your blog posts. Too long. Didn't read. A short, one-line paragraph will instantly grab your reader's attention. If you're just scanning the article, you're more likely to absorb a one-line paragraph than you are longer paragraphs. And although you shouldn't overuse them, one-sentence paragraphs are not uncommon. I randomly picked an article from the New York Times, headline, I've never seen anything like this, chaos strikes global shipping, and immediately found a one-sentence paragraph between longer paragraphs. Quote, at the center of the storm is the shipping container, the workhorse of globalization, unquote. That paragraph is near the beginning of the article and sets up the idea of the shipping container being important, the main thrust of the article, after we've read a few introductory anecdotes. Varying sentence length is also common in fiction. Christopher Koch, a friend and associate professor of English at the University of Nevada, says by email, quote, In creative writing classes, I generally talk to the students about dynamism, about how paragraph length is one tool among many that a creative writer can use to speed up or slow down the reader's path through a piece of fiction, unquote. In fiction, because you start a new paragraph every time you change speakers, it's also quite common to find one-line paragraphs. Further, it's not just dialogue that leads to short paragraphs in fiction. Again, I randomly turned to the last page of a novel I had nearby, Under the Empyrean Sky by Chuck Wendig, and the last three paragraphs of the book are each one-sentence paragraphs following a longer paragraph. Again, when you're going for drama, ending the book strong, one-sentence paragraphs can help. Here's the longer paragraph that sets it up. Kale began to push, slowly at first, but then he picks up speed, running behind it. He lets go and runs alongside as fast as he can. Lane and Rigo grasp his arms and haul him aboard. And now three quick one-sentence paragraphs. The raft slides along the track, silent and swift. Paragraph. With the moon above and the wind in his hair, Kale can't help but think, I'm flying. New paragraph. Toward what? He cannot say. Alternatively, according to Koch, long paragraphs in fiction, quote, often show us a narrator obsessing, focusing inward, moving from outward observation to memory or close examination or even stream of consciousness, unquote. So although in fiction and nonfiction, it's often good to keep average paragraphs in the 100 to 200 word range and stick to the concept that one paragraph represents one idea, don't be afraid to vary your paragraph length as necessary to keep your readers interested, add emphasis, and achieve your desired pace and flow. There's absolutely no rule against it.
That segment was written by me and originally appeared in Office Pro Magazine, a publication of the International Association of Administrative Professionals. Finally, I have a familect story from Joanne. Well, here's a good story for you. One evening, back in the 60s, we were having a city barbecue that included corn on the cob. My dad was cooking and was closest to the drawer where we kept the little corn on the cob skewers. As we were sitting down to eat, we asked my dad to look for the holders in the drawer to which he replied, I'm cooking, now I have to look for lost items. From that day on, corner and the cob skewers are now called items in my family. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this story. This is Joanne Winterly. I grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I still live here. Thanks. Thanks, Joanne. If you want to call with your family word story, you can leave a voicemail at 83-321-4-GIRL, and I might play it on the show. And be sure to tell me the story, because that's always the best part. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find articles that go with each podcast segment at my website, quickanddirtytips.com. And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook as Grammar Girl, and on Instagram as The Grammar Girl. And if you could do me a favor, if you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if you can make sure you're subscribed or following, that's a big help because it shows up in the charts and it's free. So if you want to support the show, please just subscribe or follow. It really helps. Thanks to my producer, Nathan Sims. And that's all. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries. So you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life, which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and best-selling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi.